This is a Federal News Network podcast. By any measure, the federal market for information technology is enormous, close to 8% of the discretionary budget. And while it's not growing as fast as it did maybe in the 1990s, it's by no means static. For what's in the immediate future for this $118 billion industry, we turn to the Senior Director of Research at Deltec, Denise Peterson. Ms. Peterson, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So characterize the market in large for us, $118 billion. That's addressable and that is available to contractors or how does it all break down? So we look at what the potential pool of money is for contractor addressable work. And so we start by looking at the agencies that report to the Office of Management and Budget. It's about 24 agencies. But then we expand now. We add in estimates for Intel. There's, you know, 50 to 60 small agencies. There's quasi-government organizations like the Postal Service. And then we also look at what we call embedded IT, which is IT that's embedded in other programs like IT that's in ships and aircraft and things like that. We're trying to get as complete of a view of the IT market as possible. So for our analysis this year, you know, looking ahead a year, we're seeing about $118 billion for the contractor addressable IT market. So the growth is definitely slower than we've seen, you know, if we look back, you know, five, 10 years, but it's definitely a very healthy market. And the growth, I guess, has slowed because of the shift to services and away from a huge concentration on hardware spending. Could that be one reason it doesn't grow as fast? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that hardware and to some degree software is kind of dragging down the market a bit, you know, because we are seeing that shift from on-premise software to cloud solutions, seeing, you know, price pressure on hardware. We throw the umbrella of category management on top of that, just trying to streamline and drive cost savings in IT commodity solutions. So we do see that the impact of some of the policy driving down growth in some of the market segments for sure. And what are you expecting as the Biden administration's management agenda starts to gel? So, you know, we get some clues for that in the FY22 budget request. And it doesn't look like we're going to see too many kind of, you know, rapid shifts. We see continued focus on things like cloud computing, definitely cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, unmanned systems. So all of those things that have been kind of priorities for several years will kind of be in play. What we usually see is a new administration comes in, they look at the previous administration's agenda figure out which pieces to leave and rebrand, so to speak, and then which areas where they want to introduce new things. So we're still in that phase where I think we're still seeing the same agenda when it comes to IT, you know, modernization and things like that, that we saw in the last administration. And from the documents, you're predicting an annual compound growth rate over the next couple of years of about 0.8%, slightly less than 1%. Do you happen to know how that compares with the private sector? You know, I don't really look closely at the private sector. I do know that government tends to lag a bit there. So I would imagine it's definitely higher than that just because of the pace of, you know, technology procurement in the commercial sector. They're a little bit more agile, right? And the process is a lot different for getting funding for things. So that is a, a very different picture. And is it possible to break down that $118 billion by services, hardware and software? Yeah, so we see actually the biggest part of the market is IT services. So that's your professional services, but that's also your managed services like cloud computing, 
and, you know, managed security outsourcing and things like that. So we see that at about $68 billion in FY22, growing a little bit in FY23 to about $69 billion. When we look at software, it's relatively flat. We're seeing about $14.5 billion for that. And then hardware is slightly bigger, but declining a little bit. So about $16.3 billion in FY22. So we're definitely seeing services kind of chipping away at hardware and software. And that's largely because of the migration to cloud, which it hasn't been that fast, to be honest with you, but it it has been significant enough to where we're seeing the implications of that. We are speaking with Denise Peterson, Senior Director of Research at GovWinds Deltech. And remind us who the top spending agencies are, by the way, top two or three or four. Yeah. So it's always, if we're looking at four, we're going to be talking about DOD. We consider Navy, Army, Defense, and Air Force as kind of independent entities. So definitely DOD, just with the scope of their spending, we're seeing topping that list, ranging from about $14.5 Navy really tops the list there, followed by Army, Defense, and Air Force. On the civilian side, we're seeing, you know, DHS at $7.7 billion, VA is $7.1 billion, and HHS is $6.1 billion. And then our best estimates show Intel between $10 and $11 billion. So what we've seen is that we haven't seen many shifts in the civilian agencies that kind of dominate the IT budget. We will year over year kind of see some shuffling around when we look within the Department of Defense to see kind of who's getting the the bigger buckets, right? And and there's a lot of cyclical nature. There's long-term projects that can kind of dominate. So sure, for example, we're seeing the usual suspects. Like the Army is in the midst of developing long-term over the next seven, eight, nine years two new helicopters, and there will be a huge software train kind of behind those. Mm -hmm. But it's in, as you say, embedded in a hardware program that's a weapons platform. So you got to look deep to find some of the places that are growing. And within that 0.8% growth, some areas are probably growing very fast, but they're low dollar volumes compared to, say, hardware. So that artificial intelligence might be growing faster. And you tell me if I'm right about this, but it's not a very expensive item. You're right. So we look for different technology solutions within the budget. And you're absolutely right. We see that artificial intelligence, you know, we we do a report on that. This year will be our third year. And it's not even to the point yet where you can get a handle on the on the dollar amount because it is still relatively new in the government and it's kind of very small incremental growth. So I would say definitely AI, machine learning certain types of predictive analytics, those things are smaller, but they're growing faster is kind of the need within agencies, especially around like data management and using data for decision-making as that requirement increases. And nobody's building 100,000 square foot data centers. Going the opposite direction, actually. Still consolidating data centers. So you're absolutely right. And what's your advice for contractors? How should they think about approaching this market, which it's big, but it's not a static one. As as you've pointed out, it changes. What should contractors be doing? You know, it's all about positioning. 
The data shows that agencies have been in, going in this direction in a while, but it's even more prevalent right now where there's this preference for schedules and IDIQs, especially for things like cloud and cybersecurity, right? And just having access to those, that pool of, of agency customers is really important. And it all comes down to access to those contracts. Throw in that we have category management, which has established these best in class contracts and tier two contracts that are well-managed and really working to drive spending to those contracts. And so as that funnel starts to narrow a bit in terms of contract vehicles, contractors really need to look at, you know, teaming and being positioned to be able to access those funds. So miss out on the right IDIQs or GWACs and you could be locked out of a big chunk of the market for five years. Yes, it's changing. It's a living thing because, you know, we see contracts that were standalone multiple award contracts. When the recompete comes, agencies are deciding to use a schedule or use one of the best in class contracts. So this is something that is just going to be an ongoing thing where those acquisition strategies will be changing as agencies consider, you know, what's the best way to get the breadth of services I need or the type of contractors I need when that recompete comes. So positioning in those contracts is very important. And the other thing I guess contractors generally need to do is understand what the challenges the agencies have so that they can be there to meet them. What does the research show are the top challenges in IT agencies will be facing? It's the usual stuff. It's not having enough funding for what they want to achieve, right? So yes, we have a billion dollars kind of sitting in the technology modernization fund, but that's probably tip of the iceberg in terms of what agencies actually need. So the way contractors can support that is really working and talking with customers about, well, two things, how to help them justify their kind of business need for TMF dollars, because a lot of agencies are looking at maybe using those funds now that the repayment structure is different. So supporting there, but also helping agencies understand how to get to their end goal in a less expensive way, right? So coming to the table, understanding what the end goal and what the challenges are, and being creative about the solutions to get them there in a way that is both effective, you know, operationally, but also cost-wise. Denise Peterson is Senior Director of Research at GovWinds Deltech. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? 
Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, 
uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.